Hey there, John here. We are so glad you're listening to the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. If you're new to the show, I hope you find something here you'll enjoy and that gives you a reason to come back. If you've been listening for a little while or a long while, as is the case with so many of you, I want to ask a favor. Would you consider introducing us to just one friend this week? There's really no better method of advertising than word of mouth. Pick a friend who shares your sense of humor or interests, even if they don't know what a podcast is, and tell them why our show has become a regular listening for you. And be bold. Help them get a podcast app on their phone and walk them through how to subscribe to the show. We love that you're here and would greatly appreciate your recommendation. Thanks for your time. Now, let's get on with the show. Hi, I'm Marcus, and I support Gen X Grown Up through Patreon. You can, too, by visiting patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listener, to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I am John. Joining me as always is Mo. Hey, everybody. And you know, George is always here. Hey, how's it going, guys? In this episode, we are talking about memorable TV events. Oh, there are one or two, right? There are a couple. There are a couple. couple. (laughs) What made us think about this was this show drops on April 18th, 2019. April 18th, 1977, Alex Haley was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for The Roots, the novel, 42 years ago. Wow. Holy cow. And Roots is one of those pivotal things that we always remember as a memorable TV event that happened back before there was DVRs or on demand or any of that stuff. We all watch stuff together. And seeing how this is the anniversary of Haley getting his Pulitzer Prize, we thought, what a great time to talk about the memorable TV events like Roots that were spawned back during Generation X. That sounds like fun. But before we get into that, it's time for my favorite part of the show, which is... Talking Talking to to George! Wait. Fourth listener email! Oh, (laughs) oh, man, we're both wrong again. Every time he gets me. Jeez. (laughs) The first bit of fourth listener email is from listener Rachel. Ah. Remember back when we did the retired advertising icons episodes? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yo quiero Taco Bell. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We'd mentioned the Marlboro Man, and I think maybe, George, you said, didn't they all die of cancer, lung cancer? And I'm like, I thought so. I don't know. Maybe one of our fourth listeners are right in. And Rachel wrote in. Ah. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So Rachel did some research for us and said, apparently all six Marlboro men have died from smoking-related diseases. Wow. So every (laughs) single one. She said one of them's wife tried to sue the company for causing her husband's death. She lost. Oh, Jesus. Really? (laughs) How do you lose that lawsuit? I mean, that's crazy. I think you could draw a pretty straight line between he's the Marlboro man, lung cancer, but hey, oh, well. He's on TV smoking your damn cancer stick. Case closed. It's over. How about be the sixth one to have this happen to? (laughs) Right. Exactly. If you look back, there were several. (laughs) 
So thank you, Rachel, for doing the research that we didn't do for our show. We appreciate you doing that right. for us. <laughs> See, it's better than doing internet searches ourselves. Yeah, it is. We don't use Google anymore. Now we use Rachel. <laughs> we just use Rachel. I think that works. <laughs> a second piece of fourth listener email comes from listener Spitfire 1500. Ooh, good name. How is that like for a name? name? Love it. Nice. <laughs> Spitfire writes in, and the topic is fourth listener feedback, pizza arcades. Oh, shit. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Not Uh-oh. Let's get into it. Uh-oh. Oh, damn it. Here comes another one of these showbiz Showtime. neophytes. Now, I think this is pretty agnostic, so here we go. So Spitfire says, hi there, I heard about your podcast through Ferg. He's talking about Ferg over on the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. Oh, nice. So thank you for talking about us over there. Showbiz, Chuck E. Cheese, and Circus was the Playboy Lounge for kids. (laughs) (laughs) It was the place to be if you were into arcade games. He goes on to say, I think it was Chuck E. Cheese that had the strobe light room underneath the stage. That was weird. What's more weird is that in the Twin Cities, there's still one Chuck E. Cheese on Robert Street that has stood the test of time, but it's all redemption games by now. Oh, Aww. yeah. Well, that's kind of all the Chuck E. Cheese's now. They're all I redemption think that's right. games. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. He says, a friend of the family once worked there saying it was one of the highest performing places in the area. So who, who knew? Well, that's probably why it lasted <laughs> as long as it did, I guess. <laughs> he said a downside of Chuck E. Cheese showbiz was their policy on phasing out pinball machines. Apparently, they were ordered to be destroyed and you needed to provide a picture of its destruction like some kind of mafia hit. Really? What? <laughs> I didn't know about that. Like, like the, the manager head. of Chuck E. Cheese had to like send in a photo, here's the broken pinball yeah, machine. Yeah, right. That's Deliver crazy. me the head of the pinball machine. <laughs> <laughs> I want I its flippers. Send its flippers in an envelope. <laughs> <Flippers>. <laughs> yeah, he says, no reselling, giving away to best performing employees, raffling off, nothing. Even if it was a Twilight Zone, which is six grand in today's value, you smashed it and threw it away. Wow. That's That's just awful. That is a ding against the pizza arcades I didn't know about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who knows how many got destroyed? Jeez. Oh, thanks for the bad news, Spitfire. But hey, we, <laughs> we do appreciate your writing it. He wraps up and says, anyways, keep up the good work with the 80s nostalgia. And we sure appreciate you thanks. writing in and Rachel as yeah. well. We'd love it when our fourth listeners take the time. If you want to hear your email read here on the show, just hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. You'll go right in the hopper and you'll be either the first, second or third favorite part of the show, depending on how the debate goes. <laughs> but now it is time to get into memorable TV events right after this. Kunta Kante, Fiddler, Kizzy, Tom Moore, Chicken George. For one incredible week, Alex Haley shared the story of his family with America. So, relive that week, September 5th, with the return of Ruth. Let's jump in into talking about those memorable TV events from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. Even before our era, there were things that happened that you like, you remembered where you were. Probably the most notable one is something like, you know, you knew where you were, like when JFK got shot or something. I don't, not to get too dark. Right. But everybody knows they remember the moment, they remember when it happened. And whether we're going to talk about some of the things, the arch kind of tragedies, we're going to talk about some of the things that were pure entertainment. But the reason those things are burned into our memories have to do with what we've talked about a lot on the show. There was no wait and watch it later. There wasn't DVRs and you know VCRs and on demand. Everybody watched appointment television. And then the next day on the schoolyard around the water cooler, what did you do? Yeah, absolutely. You had to talk about it. Yeah, you had to talk about what just happened. And it was something monumental. It wasn't like, did you watch or did you watch it? There are only like three networks. 
likely you were watching it, especially if it was a major news event. Yeah. Because they cut into the shows. You had to watch right. it. Right. <laughs> That's the old joke. I only had three channels, and if the president was on, he was on every damn channel. He was channel. on all, all three. He was on all yeah. three. Oh, my God. Hallelujah, PBS. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll watch something educational. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> well, we started off the show by talking about what inspired it was, uh, you know, celebrating the anniversary of Alex Haley receiving his Pulitzer Prize, which was some 42 uh-huh. years ago in 1977. Jeez. In that same year, year 1977 they turned Alex Haley's novel into what as far as I know is the first of its kind it created the mini series back when that yeah. was not you had you had TV shows and you had specials but there hadn't been a limited run major event like this and I'll tell you how impactful this was I was six years old when that TV miniseries happened. I still remember it to this day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, so what was I? I was eight. Mo was 43. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. You know, I was just, I figured, it's it going to come. <laughs> like, I'll just wait for it to hit there. You know? <laughs> so I was eight. Mo was, I was 10. We're all two years apart. But we were all youngsters, and we all remembered this. Yeah. The intent of Roots was not only to entertain, but also to educate, because this was about a very dark part of American history that was taught, but people just didn't have, there wasn't anything that let you see what the history books were talking about, you know, how brutal that era of slavery was, and just how, you know, unfair it was to an entire, an entire swath of people. And Roots just put that front and center. Yeah. It made it real for something that was just a page out of a history book. It wasn't that anymore. The whipping scene of Kutu Kente oh, my God. really oh, brought it home. Oh. To this day, we, you're right. We would hear about the slave trade and all that kind of stuff in school and history classes, but your teachers could never convey the enormous calamity horror that was slavery. It just, mm, you couldn't, yeah. you, it wasn't something you could grasp. And Roots brought that into a whole new realm, a whole new medium. It was one of those first things as a young child that I remember still to this day having a huge impact on me. It was just incredible. And oddly enough, launched a career of one of my favorite actors, LeVar Burton as well. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Actually, he lost yeah. a lot of careers, yeah. actually. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. It had to have an incredible viewing audience at the time. And this miniseries oh. ran for 12 hours uh, on yeah. consecutive nights. Yep. Because they knew it was going to be such a huge impact impact. They aired it the week before Sweeps began, which is kind of the television rating series, so it wouldn't impact ratings. It was like they knew it would be an unfair advantage. <laughs> really? Yeah, it wouldn't matter if it got huge ratings because they couldn't sell advertising later because it wasn't going to be on again later. It was a one-time right. thing. So they kept it out of the ratings period. Over the course of its run, listen to this, 85% of television viewing audiences watched at least some of it. I told you it had to have a huge audience. Absolutely. 85%. I mean, that's larger than the Super Bowl at Jeez. any point in history. And because it was at one time, everybody was there. And if you missed the first one, you heard about it and you were watching the second episode or the third episode. Yeah. And it, it was it was gripping. It was an amazing thing. And it was just a one example of these kinds yeah, of- Yeah, I remember my parents allowing me to stay up past bedtime just to watch it. It was that me important. Me too. Yeah. The, um, the other thing I remember is that they actually would show the episodes again, like super late at night, like two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning. Really? Oh, really? I didn't it. know that. Yeah. But normally, wasn't that end of air day at least like my tv station here i remember when i was a kid end of air was like midnight or something they would bring the flag out play the anthem and that was the end of the oh, like yeah. your tv channel would just stop that doesn't <laughs> yeah. happen now. Get the snow, right? yeah. 
So let's swing the pendulum in the other direction. It sounds funny to be talking about something that happened in 2000, but that's been now 19 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I'm old. Jesus. Oh, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Even though we were in the era of some on-demand and VCR, this is one of those things that everybody was paying attention to in real time. Remember election night 2000? It was George W. Bush and Al Gore. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. (laughs) And whose fault was it that the election could not be decided? Florida. Florida, Of course. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) I was working in television at the time. It's like you hang your head and go, did it have to be Florida? (laughs) Yep, it sure (laughs) did. I don't know if you remember, this is where the entire world got to know what a dangling Chad was. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) No even knew what a Chad was, much less a I know, right. Chad. I remember them having to like, there were definitions on different news channels. They were like, what is a Chad? And they would put it up as a graphic. Like, here's what a Chad yep. actually is. I was like, really? It's a piece of paper. <laughs> Come on. Like, really? The election machines in Florida in many areas had the, the mechanical machines that literally punched out a little hole of paper. You know, when you're a kid, yeah. you fill in the box. Well, with these, you pushed a button and it punched out. And the problem was that piece of paper didn't cut out all the way and it was confusing the reading machines. And they had to recount, I don't know how many counties and that thing well, went on for weeks. Like some of them had the machines, but didn't some of them also have manual intervention? Like a human would have to take like a little needle and poke the hole through it in yeah. some places that, for, like for the recount the yes that's what they yeah. had to do for the recount was go through and punch out the remaining that was the dangling chad the chad is that little piece that hole <laughs> that didn't completely <laughs> detach and because of these knucklehead not sharp enough razors on the machines the entire nation held its breath for like what two weeks while we waited yeah. to see if our next president was bush or gore and it was so close and the florida was the deciding idiot that had to get their stuff not right <laughs> yay florida <laughs> it's really kind of crazy too because you know the popular vote doesn't really elect the president we all know it's electoral college that does but there was still such importance at that time on the popular vote just because of pieces of paper that's all it was yep. and the electoral college was going to swing one way or the other too and it was like we need to know because otherwise we could end up with a recount if they just accepted it and didn't do the recount it was going to happen later so it's like let's do it now or it's always going to be up in the air <laughs> oh. Oh. let's do a feel-good one how about the launch of mtv yes August 1st, 1981. Yeah. I don't care yeah. how many times we talk about it. Still one of the greatest moments in Gen <laughs> X grown-up TV history. Absolutely. We talked about it a little bit during the uh, the dawn of music videos. Yeah. Appropriately enough, that was when MTV still showed music videos. Back when they had videos, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, isn't it crazy how you know MTV was, I mean, music videos, that was their thing, right? And yep. it just went from that to never showing a music video again, pretty much. It's just well, it crazy took them a how period of time change but... and times change. Yeah. Before it went to shit, <laughs> let's focus on what we're looking at here was the launch of it as a memorable TV moment. I think we yeah. all remember where we were, like these other things, when you saw mm-hmm. that first thing. George, tell us again when you first saw MTV. You got to stay up late again, like Roots, didn't you? Yeah. You know, mom, not dad, obviously, but mom, you know, allowed <laughs> me to stay up late. It was during the summer. So it was right before school was going to start back August 1st. The old TV with the channels and so you know you had to switch the cable box over so that you know you could watch the cable stuff and it had a little switch on it oh it was so much fun loved that night absolutely stayed up probably till three or four in the morning so mo do you remember watching the buggles the first video that ever aired on mtv oh yeah 
Well, for, I mean, because there were other video shows on, like the networks had like Friday night videos, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. this one, yeah. though, because I remember everyone thinking like, where are they going to show for 24 hours? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, in reality, it was a lot of the same. What, what were they getting? Yeah, they actually did a lot of repeats. Well, but it was just like a radio station, right? That's what yeah, happens on a radio yeah. station. That's right. They yep. pick the popular yep. songs and they repeat them four or five times a day. And that's what MTV, they use that format just as videos instead of radio. Yeah. They even had VJs instead of DJs. They sure did. And in that era, I would go to parties at somebody's house and rather than having the radio on, they would literally have the TV on cranked through the stereo because you got to see not only hear your song and see the video, but the VJs were a personality that brought yeah. all that together and made you feel like part of this little community. Downtown Julie Brown. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I forgot about that one. <laughs> you know, all the people that are on XM Radio now hosting the 80s. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> The tug of war for the presidency is now down to the most local of politics. Counties in Florida, precincts in Florida, where the recount has begun. 5A11 is a vote for Gore. Under intense media scrutiny, the flaws in Florida's system became clear. Votomatic machines and conflicting rules about ballots and fuzzy rules about what is a vote. It's, it's slightly detached. As a kid in 1989, I would say it was pretty darn far from being political, but something I actually did hit my radar was the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, and that got heavily televised on the news. You guys remember this? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Night Rider. Absolutely. Yeah. A couple of years before then, there was that quote that you hear on every single uh, retrospective about the 80s or about Ronald Reagan with uh, Reagan going, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That was back in June of 87. And then two years later, unbelievably, I didn't understand the impact of it. Why was it such a big deal when I was a kid? It wasn't until I was an adult that I'm like, this is like these two nations that are, you know, head to head. They do not like even like to look at each other, East and West Germany. And unbelievably, they were able to convince both sides to take down this literal physical barrier that had stopped travel between the two countries. And now it opened up trade and travel and uh, tourism. It, it was like going to another planet. It was a place you were forbidden to go. And the next day, slabs of concrete were removed and you could walk across the border. Actually, it's funny you bring that up because I was watching, um, you know that show, um, Adam Ruins Everything? Sure. I've seen a couple humor. episodes. Yeah. yeah. He does. He did an uh, episode on the Berlin Wall. And basically, it went, the reason why it came down was that somebody misspoke. Everybody oh. thought he meant the wall was coming down, so they just sort of tore it down. Like the crowd, just the mob just did it, and security what? people didn't know what to do. Really? Yeah. Because it happened. Well, it's like, <laughs> it, and the security people didn't know what to do, like the soldiers on the wall, because they just saw these right? people, and then they heard this guy say something about the wall coming down, but they're not really sure what he's meant. That doesn't seem right, though. I mean, it's, this thing was televised. David Hasselhoff was there. Oh, I yeah. Don't... They did a whole concert and everything. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean this was awesome. Wall. It took yeah. a while. It took I a mean, while. I mean, this thing sounds like it was planned out. Not that it was just like an accident. Somebody said, oh, did they say tear it down? Let me break off a piece of this Kit Kat bar. No, <laughs> this was something that was planned. I don't believe Adam at all on this one. Well, you could write in. Okay, here's when I remember that. It was an event that lasted an entire summer. You remember show Dallas, right? Oh, oh God, yeah. yes. Yep. Yeah, I know and where you're you going know already. About right That's now. all you had to say was Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When JR got shot. Because that was the ultimate cliffhanger, I think. Yep. It wasn't just the whole summer. It lasted the whole next season because that was the storyline oh, for the entire next season. You I still didn't know like, who shot it. Yep. 
every magazine was talking about who shot JR. I remember I can't, God knows how many pictures of freaking Larry Hagman in a wheelchair with a cowboy hat. <laughs> right. And t-shirts. Remember like they had t-shirts who I shot JR would, you know, people, it was yeah, crazy. I know, all right. This stuff. Right. It was like the zeitgeist moment for that time. So let me tell you oh, the, the thing word. about this that strikes me. So the, first of all, the reason that it was doing so well in the ratings that the producers asked them to come up with two more episodes beyond the finale of that third season. And so they decided the thing they would do in this extra couple of episodes is have JR get shot in that finale and you won't reveal it until the, in the fall. Right. But then there was a writer's strike the following year. Oh, right. that's right. That's right. And so the show didn't come back until November. So not only was it a cliffhanger, it was a cliffhanger lit that never ended. And at the time, what was I? It was 1980. So it was like 12 or 13 yeah. or something. My initials are JR. Oh, right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and so everybody was like, hey, John, who shot you? Who shot you? I'm like, shut. I'm sick of hearing it. I didn't even watch <laughs> Dallas at the time. But it hit home for me because they're like, I shot JR. Is that you? Did you get shot? You're like, shut up i don't want to hear this anymore <laughs> no but i shoot back damn it <laughs> so like like bookmakers were taking bets on who shot jr mm-hmm. Hell, jimmy carter even joked about it when he was uh he was on the campaign trail yeah. and i don't know if this was true enough i remember hearing all the stories about how like oh they wrote four different scripts with different people shooting him so no one would know and, uh, you know, it oh was, yeah was this whole right. thing about it yeah there was all <sighs> kinds of different urban legends and everything that sprang up around it like he was supposed to get killed off and they weren't going to bring him back Back, but then right, there yeah. was such an yeah. outcry. None of that was true. That, no. Uh-uh. When the fourth <laughs> no. season finally did kick off in November, whenever it was after the writer's strike, like you said, George, even though they didn't resolve the storyline, they did the whole season to do it. Right. That season premiere became television's most watched program all the way up until MASH ended three years later. Wow. They were chomping at the bit. I hope that you guys <laughs> have the same opinion. They go through the whole fourth season and I watched every single damn episode like every other kid of that you never knew did. which one was going to be the big reveal. Exactly. And then they get to the end and the whole dream sequence out of the shower bullshit and everything that happened later. Patrick Duffy. What kind of lame writing was that? That was all like somebody just threw a dart at a wall and said, okay, this one hit Bobby. This one said dream sequence. Boom. That's the episode. What the hell? Yeah, It seemed like a bit of a cop out, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Just commit. Commit. That was back before people like Joss Whedon got a hold of television and made it prove to everybody that you could actually kill off a main character and keep a show going. Yeah. yeah well, back then, TV was just not movies. It was the other thing, right? It was, right. They didn't take it as <laughs> yeah. seriously, it seemed. Who shot JR on Dallas? I'll just bet Cliff Barnes did the dirty deed. When the smoke's cleared, dear, you'll find that it was Vaughn Leland. Well, people list the 10 most likely suspects, and Vaughn sounds very unlikely to me, Sherlock. People asked 11 Texas celebrities who'd done it, and one of them agreed with me. There's even this who shot J.R. poll. People's asking everybody to vote. Everybody who follows Dallas should treat themselves. Treat their family. To to this this week's people. Not everything was fun and games, though, when it comes to memorable TV moments. There were some very tragic events, some that had positive outcomes, some that absolutely had very negative mm-hmm. outcomes. You're absolutely right. Were yeah. huge moments in the Gen X grown up TV era. First one that comes to mind actually ended up with a pretty positive outcome was the baby Jessica who fell in a well 
1986. You remember oh, this? Yeah. Little <laughs> yes, girl was I do. Texas, yes. right? Yeah, it was it Texas, wasn't yep. it? It was. Yep. The thing about this was that that's when CNN had just started, not that long before, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Oh, yeah, was the 24-hour okay. news cycle was a brand new thing. This was their element. Like, this is the first time that the 24-hour news thing mattered because yeah. all the networks couldn't do 24-hour coverage of it. They had shows they had to put on, that kind of thing. Yeah, and they were ending their day sometimes, too, still in 86. Oh, yeah. Some of them yeah. were going off the air at like 12, 1, 2 in the morning. Yeah, this was Jessica McClure. You're right. It was in Texas. She fell into a well in her aunt's backyard. Oh. Yep. And honestly, that's all anybody was talking about. It was. They worked 56 straight hours to get her out mm-hmm. of an eight-inch well casing. And probably the, one of the most iconic visuals on television at that time, her being, you know, her head taped to that backing board as they pulled her out. Mm-hmm. The little arm is kind of flapping around as she's all taped to that, you know, support system to keep her head neck stable and she comes out of there and i remember just like bawling like a little baby when she got released yeah. and this was 86 so i was 15 at the time teenager boys we don't cry but i did that <laughs> night absolutely well, i didn't cry but they- <laughs> it speaks directly to what we're talking about this was something that it was happening in real yeah. time and everybody was paying attention to it everybody have you heard the news what's the latest what's going on with mm-hmm. baby jessica and it was all broadcast on tv thanks to cnn they followed well, it the from thing- beginning to end i don't know why this one image just sticks with me about it. They did a draw, a hand drawing of her position in the well. Yeah. Because right? it was like a, one of her hand, arms was like kind of tucked in a weird spot or something. Mm-hmm. And and that picture just disturbed the crap out of me for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember they had like the little drawing too of how they were going to drill the side vent down to yeah. the well. Look how well we remember it now. Mm-hmm. Was it 30, 30 some years later we remember this? 33. <laughs> yeah. Good 33 heavens. years later. Oh. Yeah. The other track I definitely remember was uh, when the Challenger exploded. Oh, the oh Challenger disaster. Just like you talked earlier, John, about people from my parents' generation remembering where they were when Kennedy was shot. I mm-hmm. absolutely remember exactly where I was when the Challenger blew up. I do too. I mean, I, I could point to you on a map within two foot of where I was. We're standing the moment. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. I was in a car at a Wendy's drive through on Thomasville Road in Tallahassee, Florida. Jeez. Mm. I was in college and just remember hearing like waking up and hearing like the Challenger exploded. I'm like, the what exploded? Because at the time, it was almost like no one even considered that could happen. Right. No, because we'd had so many successful launches right. at that point that yeah, it was yeah. unthinkable that one of those things would blow up in that way. I mean, the first space shuttle that went up, everybody was on pins and needles. What's going to oh, right. happen? How's and it going to return to Earth? Everyone was on pins and needles. I mean, the whole right. thing. But by the time they got to Challenger, they were like, okay, well, we're going to send up a civilian into the shuttle, yeah. Sally Ride. It was just... It was, you were used to it at that point. Yeah, it didn't even get like a ton of coverage because it was like, no, oh, another shuttle launch. And if I could tell you, I mean, this this was immensely personal and hit home for me. So I was living in Central Florida at the time and I was in high school and it was during my lunch break that the Challenger took off and so many other shuttles had taken off that it was it didn't even, wasn't on my radar really. I just knew, yeah, it was taken off today. It happens every few months. You can see from Cape Canaveral, from where my high school was, you can see the pillar of smoke when a shuttle takes off. And somebody mm-hmm. came running into the lunchroom and said, the space shuttle blew up. And I'm like, it didn't register with me. Like, no, you're, you're crazy. 
And so finally, people were walking outside and we all ran outside. And there's that iconic photo of the twisted pillars, the columns of smoke. Oh, yeah. And right, you yeah. could see them from where I was standing outside of my high school. I saw it with mm. my own eyeballs, not just on TV. Oh, wow. And my best friend at the time had called in sick that day and he was home watching TV, recording something. He recorded a full six hours, the longest speed VHS of news coverage all day long. I went to his house after school and watched hours upon hours of it. And that was all just stuff that happened. It would not have been the same kind of news coverage. It, it sticks. It sticks, I yeah, guess is what sure. I'm saying, in your brain. I remember we heard it on the radio, like I said, in that drive through We immediately drove just down the road to a local Kmart and went to their electronic section and watched it there with probably, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 other people just standing there. Like nobody was shopping in the whole Kmart. Right. So let's let's transition into one that we, we, we can't not cover, but yeah. it, it's painful to talk about. Obviously, the uh, September 11th attacks. Mm. Oof. Yep. Remember where I was on that one, too. <laughs> oh, sure. I do. Yeah, that's another one of those. We, I mean, we were still, we were deep into the era of DVR and that sort of thing, but it was the sort of news coverage event that nobody was waiting to watch it later. People were standing around wherever they were paying attention to what was happening. These attacks were taking place. Oh, geez. Yeah, I wish I could say that I was, but unfortunately... I was living in Los Angeles at the time. The job that I had, we had just bought and were preparing to open up a new warehouse in downtown LA for our business. And mm-hmm. I was on the two freeway coming into LA on the radio. I hear, oh my God, an airplane hit the World Trade Center. And they, then like a couple of minutes later, the announcer's like, okay, they're showing the replay now. What? No, wait, that's the second tower. They've hit the other tower. This is an attack. Right. As I pulled off the two freeway into downtown LA, a tank rolled right behind me in my rearview mirror. <laughs> And they locked us in to downtown LA for the entire day. I had to call my wife. It took a long time to get through on the cell phone. Cause if you remember, like all the cell phone yeah. lines were. Oh yeah. Limited, connectivity uh, limited and stuff. bandwidth. Yeah. Right. And I remember we went to the warehouse and we had 56 K dial up modems. We couldn't yeah. see anything because all the new sites were crashing. Yep. So we couldn't hardly like all we would get were static pictures here and there, like every five minutes or so. Well, I want to wow. hear your take on this. I mean, you grew up in Manhattan, so oh, this, yeah. you know, it, this impacted everyone, but this was your stomping ground. You didn't still live in Manhattan at the time, right? No, I was out in Florida at the time. Okay. But it was like, of course, I, I don't know if that made it better or worse because the odds of somebody I knew being in one of those two towers was minuscule. But it still was there. Yeah, but it you still, still goes your head like, was somebody oh, in the yeah. subway going past it at the time mm-hmm. or was, you know, mm-hmm. da, da, da. yeah, right. And the one story that really sticks with me about it was, well, he said the coverage, because like George said, it was, you know, when the first plane hit, everyone assumed it was an accident. Right. Mm-hmm. Then when the second one did, and that just, everyone was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And I remember my friend who lived in the village at the time, he said that he went like, because, you know, the whole city shut down after that. Sure. And I'm sure. he was yeah. walking around, you know, just going out for a walk. He's had to get out of his apartment. And then he realized that he almost, he got disoriented because he just realized that the towers weren't there. And he kind of subconsciously always kind of oh, oriented no himself landmark. to it. Oh, Right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a landmark. You can see that missing. from anywhere. Wow. Right. Because you see it first in the village, you can see that from anywhere. He said that's when it kind of like really hit him. Like, holy crap. I'm surprised Man. they were letting him walk around because in LA, they came to each building, like the warehouse that we were in, and they told us we weren't even allowed to leave the building. If we did, we would be arrested or shot. Oh, well, this was a couple days after. Apparently, different oh, towns uh, like dealt with it differently. <laughs> I was still working in TV news at the time, and it, it happened early in the morning, and I worked evenings. Yeah. And as soon as it happened, you know, I went in, and we basically sat there and did nothing because it was wall-to-wall network coverage. Local news was not doing anything. 
And I did that for the thing that I remember uh, from, from a television perspective about those attacks was the unbelievable way that it impacted the cycle of news and television. Nothing was happening that you were accustomed to. All of the talk shows, all the syndicated shows, anything you ever watched, none of that yeah. was happening. It was every channel right. was round the clock news. It was unprecedented in my lifetime, at least, that we would do that. You had, you had your CNN and MSNBC, every channel was around the clock what's going on news. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it recovered for a couple of weeks before people started getting back into the, the swing of you know scheduled stuff. And even then Normal it was stuff it felt half-hearted. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you know when it recovered? You know when people started to feel it was okay to be entertained by television again? It seems to me it was when the late night talk show host started coming back on. I think for a lot of people, people talk about this, that it was the Super Bowl later on that year. Oh, really? Or the next year, you know. It was that feeling of normalcy. Yeah, that because, you know, at that time, you know, sporting events and everything, you know, this is September 11th, right? So yep. you're right in the fall part of sports for baseball. But even when all that stuff was still happening, people didn't feel comfortable going to those kinds of things, going out to entertain oh, themselves because it was still so heavy. Right, and You of were course, worried about right. being attacked again. And it yeah. wasn't until the Super Bowl that next year that, and that's in February. There's one more that I want to touch on that is actually not an attack, but a natural disaster that was heavily covered and kind of changed the way news coverage happened. And everybody was paying close attention to it. Again, I was working in news and we were covering every hurricane that came through Florida. And of course, yeah. Hurricane Katrina was on its way through the Gulf. Mm, oh, yeah. yeah. And we knew it was a big hurricane, but it smacked the shit out of New Orleans, yeah. all of Louisiana. Oh, my God. Mississippi. Oh, man. It became yeah. way more than a severe weather story. What Levees broke. There were thousands of people on TV standing on their roofs begging for help. Yep. Yeah. It just, it was like, you don't want to look away, but it's so painful to see what's happening. And, you know, literally people stranded, people hold up in the Superdome in New Orleans. All the rumors, like people said, oh, go, people are going here for shelter. And there wasn't anything set up there. Yeah, unbelievable. There was news media there and there was who you didn't know who to trust. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the other big thing, too. People were being taken advantage of. That was a huge issue. Like even in the Superdome, you mentioned, Mo, there were stories and rumors coming out of people being attacked and things stolen inside the Superdome where all these survivors were huddled. You just can't imagine all the emotions that people had to go through that went through that storm. And I saw some amazing like bits on news where normally you see a soundbite of like a guy, somebody with a microphone talks, tell me what this is about. Well, people are taking care of it. Yeah. And I saw like these confrontational moments where people were saying, you are lying. Tell us the truth. And it was some yeah. <laughs> oddly like you can't yeah. look away, mm -hmm. uncomfortable, not normal news coverage because we were just not prepared for certainly not in our lifetime. There had not been a storm of this magnitude hitting anywhere in the United States. It was clear that neither uh, emergency relief nor the people themselves nor the city nor the town nor media was ready to cover it. But they were doing their damnedest. And it just it was like a train wreck you couldn't look away from even after the storm was passed. It was the opposite for Americans of September 11th. So September 11th, the entire country bonded together behind the president at the time. Everybody was gung-ho, American flag, this, that, and the other. Katrina was the exact opposite. It became a us versus them situation. The president didn't even land in the first 24 hours or 48 or anything like that. Yeah. So people were mad about that. I remember those kinds of stories. It was a completely divisive issue compared to September 11th, which was you know, a bonding moment in a horrible way, but still. Uh, no, I understand exactly what you mean. Sure. Yeah. People came together. And we all saw it together on television. 
it's another one of those things that because it was real news and happening in real time, you learned it and explored it as a moment in television that I think it's another one of those watershed things that you won't forget where you were and where you were paying attention to that stuff. Yeah. Right. And Pete, here it is. Yes. This is it. The pictures are snapping. The crowd is cheering. They're trying to quiet it down as they bring the little girl up. There she is. There she is. She's got a lot of mud and debris on her. It looks as though her forehead is badly scraped, but her eyes are open. Drawn and Paneled is a brand new comic book focused podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Hey, I'm George. And I'm Jason. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love. And we cover everything from the golden age to the modern age. If you're a comic book fan who enjoys going beyond the page to learn about the history and creators who bring the characters to life, we're for you. You can find Drawn and Paneled wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website at Gen X Grown Up. Com. Talk to you guys soon. Okay, this is going to sound crazy, but for some reason, this TV event stuck with me. I don't know why, but it was that stupid <laughs> OJ Simpson car chase. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was ludicrous. White Bronco. That's why. It was like, I mean, I heard, I remember I heard car chase, right? So I'm like, OJ Simpson's in a car chase in LA. I'm like, oh my God. Looked at the news and the guy was going like 30 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> like a wall of troopers behind him. Yeah. I'm like, is that a car chase? <laughs> it's is not that really, really a chase. That's more of like a Sunday drive. That's all it really really felt like but it was riveting <laughs> though right i mean you couldn't stop watching well here the problem is that you heard about the chase i think before you knew why he was being chased what was going on yeah what was the scenario yeah, yeah, you didn't it. know that you know his, his wife was killed and all that stuff and george you lived for a time in la so i know that mm-hmm. you probably know that freeway car chases are absolutely top coverage if some of those happens they cut in oh, yeah in la you're gonna <laughs> oh, watch would, you know be tuning in on their radios to certain news channels because those were the news channels in la that would cover the car chases and if you were driving on the freeway you would have those radio stations on just to see if somebody was about to hit you from behind because you never knew it could be your (laughs) inner space that the chase was happening on they said that 95 million people watch this slow speed chase not only watch it from beginning to end but that many people were tuning in to watch people go 35 down a freeway like a parade (sighs) yeah I was one of them that's for sure were you the thing that also just cracks me up now I just think about in the movie Anchorman 2. Yeah. There's like a car chase and was like, who cares? It's a car chase. And he's yelling at the announcer, speculate, speculate. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just, they made it news. And I'm like, in the way, I think that's what they did there because it was like, it was before cable TV, you would have found out about the next day. Right. You, right unless yeah. you lived yeah. in Los Angeles. But the whole thing around OJ spawned from this bizarre car. <laughs> was it a chase? Chase, air quotes. Was it a chase kind of thing? There are a couple of, of lasts that I want to talk about. Uh, the first one one is the end of a monumental era. In our youth growing up, at least, Johnny Carson was the face and the voice of late night talk show. He was the king. And his last show, and even if you didn't watch every night or you watched something else or you were watching Letterman later or you, you weren't even a devotee of The Tonight Show, everybody tuned in to see the last episode of the Johnny Carson show. Yeah, that was when it was just him and um, Ed Man, right? Yeah. Mo, you're right. His last show, he had no guests on. It was like a prepared kind of retrospective, but there was a whole week leading up to his last show. His last show was May of 1992, but before that, he had huge, heavy hitter friends in the industry on, you know, Robin Williams and Bette Midler and 
he brought just a parade of superstar talent through. How much they appreciate and everybody him wanted to be there sure. to tell him. I mean, you know, he built well. careers. Really, you think about oh, it. Yeah. People like comedians that first got oh, their break on the Johnny Carson oh, show. God. That was a big thing. Oh, he, right? Yeah, he did. Right. Yeah, that was a big thing. Right. If you got invited to the chair, that was like. Yep. He said, "Come over and sit on the couch." That was a big deal. You were accepted. I mean, Johnny Carson was something that I grew up on. I know that he started way before I was ever watching television or probably even conceived. <laughs> But it was one of those shows that my parents were okay with letting me stay up late and watching, you know, because they felt a kinship to Johnny Carson. He was wholesome. He was funny. He was everything that they liked about America. He was almost like late night Mr. Rogers for the adults. So they were okay with me watching him. I can see that. What was it like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, whatever he came on. I couldn't do it every night, but just. Every now and again and during the summer, it was okay to watch Johnny Carson let George stay up a little bit late. It was really cool. Yeah. Hey, here's some trivia. Who wrote the theme song? Merv Griffin. Paul Anka. Oh, I thought it was Merv Griffin. Doc Severson performed it. <laughs> a, little, a little side <laughs> note there. <laughs> I think Johnny Carson was, as far as I knew, he was always there. It was an institution. Yeah. I know Jack me. Parr was before him, but I never saw any of that. So when he was leaving, it was almost like, no, it, 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 it was almost like someone dying. It was like a yeah. friend that you always saw and you're not going to see that friend anymore. So even though I wasn't paying close attention to the show, it was you took it for granted. He's always going to be there. And when he wasn't, I remember I started paying attention and watching that last few well, shows. And I also yeah. appreciate that when he retired, he retired. He didn't try and come back. It nope. wasn't like, oh, let me go to a different network now. Nope. He's done. That's yeah, it. Yeah, he did. Let Letterman and Leno and all those guys fight. He rarely out. even yeah. showed up as yeah. just like an interview or a no. soundbite. He was like, I'm done. Like, I've, you, had you didn't see I've had enough divorces. I've had enough of being on TV. <laughs> to hell with Ed McMahon and his damn bloopers <laughs> TV show. I'm out of here. <laughs> hey, oh. <laughs> all right. I think we wrap up the topics in this backtrack appropriately enough what probably is one of the most memorable TV events. And we alluded to it very briefly earlier. Oh. And that's that final episode oh my God. of MASH, 1983. One of the few times I saw my father cry. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. In, in many ways, that episode felt less like MASH and more like a farewell. Because it was sad. Yeah, there was almost like no humor in it. But fitting. That last episode was just, oof. Yeah. My father was a veteran of the Korean conflict. And mm-hmm. so that show was something that, was very important to him. Yeah. And so when that show ended, it spoke to him. I remember, you know, mm-hmm. he just, it was like a part of his life was not around anymore. Not that it was a good part of his life. Obviously, the Korean conflict was very traumatic for him. But it was important. Right. It was life. gone. Like it, there was an empty gap now of something that had been a part of his life oh, right, for yeah. the whole time of the Korean conflict and the entire 11 years that that damn show ran. So it was about the Korean War, but it ran longer than the Korean War oh, lasted. Yeah. yeah, it did. <laughs> a lot longer. <laughs> so that final episode in 83, I looked up the stats, 125 million viewers. On that night, 77% of all the TV sets turned on were watching CBS and watching Mm, that episode that night. 77%. That's just crazy. I also remember that MASH was like, was a show, I mean, it was still popular at the time. Yeah. It was one of those that went out on top. They didn't have to end. Like it said, okay, we're we're ending it and it made the decision rather than the network saying, yeah, the show sucks. Even though they had changed some of the characters throughout the show and everything, it still held its Mm -hmm. own week after week. And I think that's why its legacy today is still strong. It didn't just kind of peter out, you know, let's have a wedding, let's have a death, let's have, you know. Let's jump a shark. You, no, no shark jumping. No shark <laughs> <You're> right. 
So to this day, in 2019, that episode is still the highest rated series finale of any television show it. Yeah. ever. Wow. And I don't think you're ever going to surpass it. You know, now with yeah, I don't think so either. how diluted viewership mm-hmm. is, how would you ever have a single show, scheduled show, you know, not one that you binge. It first has to be one that airs weekly and have enough people watching. I don't think that's a record that's ever yeah, going to get Even if broken. you include DVR yeah. statistics or anything in it, there's nothing that's going to ever hit 77% of all possible there's viewing no way. platforms. There is no way. Three out of four people were watching it. I mean, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's not going to be broken, I'm going to say a quality show like MASH is a great show to wear that crown in perpetuity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 077 will be coming down for good. The police action is finally over. In other words, goodbye. All that is left is goodbye, farewell, and amen. And I can't say that I've loved you all either. I've loved as many of you as I could. But how will they say goodbye? I want you to know how much you meant to me. What will they take with them? I'm very, very proud to have known you. If there was anything in this show you'd like to learn more about, the show notes which accompany each episode are full of links to click and explore. Catch up on past episodes and get pinged every time a new one's released by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And you know, iTunes reviews help more than you know, so if you haven't yet, please rate and review us in the iTunes app. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us, they'll thank you later. You're our fourth listener, and we'd love to read your emails right here on the show, so hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. And finally, Gen X Grown Up is more than just this podcast. Our YouTube channel has hundreds of videos ready for you to enjoy, plus you can find our entire body of work on genxgrownup.com. I hope this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up podcast was even half as memorable to you as some of the memorable TV events that we talked about. Before we get out of this episode, though, I must take a moment to send a huge thank you to Marcus and Agile and Dana and T2 and Stubaka and Slobo and Thomas and Corey and Jessica and Will and Stian, all who support us over on patreon.com slash Gen X Grown Up. Yeah. You can join this amazing crew of people that support us financially a little bit every month to help keep the lights on at Gen X Grown Up. We cannot thank you enough for your commitment and dedication to the show and we will continue to deliver and get the show out to you on a regular basis, largely thanks to those people. Yeah, for sure. Thank you very much. And if a couple bucks a month at patreon.com is not your cup of tea and you do want to support what we do, head over to iTunes and give us one of those five-star reviews. We like to read them on the show. love to get them. It helps us immeasurably, people to find us uh, when they're looking for their podcasts. Or bags of cash. (laughs) (laughs) You can all we send the money. That's fine. I mean, that's not for you, right? <laughs> we will be back in two weeks with another backtrack. But next week, of course, we will be back with a regular edition of our show. Until then, I am John. George, thanks so much for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you. Oh, man, always fun. And fourth listener, we appreciate you most of all. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. No life, no fun. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? No games, no puns. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. Gen X Grown-Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're also an affiliate of the Geeks Worldwide Radio Network. You can check them out at the GWW.com. And kind of remember, remembering and since... God damn talking. <laughs> You're just getting worse as the night goes on. I know. I know. It's, like, it's, it's been like a long day. Better, dude. <laughs> I do better when I record in the morning. Yeah. <laughs>
And you know, if, if somebody's going to hold the record forever, Mash is a fantastic mm-hmm. person to oh, wear the yeah, crown. Absolutely. I, person is not a person. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say that again. <laughs> Good old Mashy. <laughs> I hope this backtrack issue, issue edition, God damn it. Edition, it's a back edition. issue. I'm thinking about that other back show. I'm edition, do. That other show. <laughs> that other thing. In five, four, three. <laughs>